Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra again, coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. It is indeed still the 21st of October, 2020. <clears throat> I'm fortunate that the uh, producer and the uh, distributor of Authentic Biochemistry, as well as the creator and the performer, who both have, um, interestingly enough, the same credentials and indeed the same initials, have decided to bestow upon me the ability to do another uh, podcast lecture today. So that's what we're doing. So without any further discussion of how that uh, event happens to occur, let's get going. <clears throat> now, I'm just going to jump right in here. L-tryptophan, the aromatic amino acid, which is essential in your diet, is a precursor to melatonin and NAD. I also want you to recall that melatonin regulates sirtuins and sirtuins again are deacetylases. And one of the, the uh, agencies they perform is double stranded break repair. Now, NAD metabolism, which is at least partially dependent upon cert activity, that is the deacetylation process actually yields adenosine ribosphosphate, which can be polymerized into poly-AR. And that's used, as you recall, for single-strand break repair and DNA uh, damage. Now, that all is being strongly suppressive in, in allowing for mutations to be continued because double-stranded breaks, which are often lethal, and single-stranded breaks, which are far less lethal but more mutational, can both be uh, detrimental to cell lineages, right? You can either get programmed cell death outright, or you can get cell division, including mutations. Either one is negative. So in some ways, uh, doing repair, depending on if you're repairing healthy cells or already transformed cancerous cells, if you're only repairing healthy cells, that might be suppressive to cancer. That also to degeneration. And one of the mechanisms of degeneration, of course, is programmed cell death. However, if you have a tumor and you perform double-stranded break repair and single-stranded break repair, which is regulated by sirtuin activity, then you might well be increasing the lineage of tumor cells. You understand? Okay, so see, this is where contrarians really play an important role in understanding biochemistry. Now, I'm not done, okay? Just stop there to let you catch up. So, melatonin mainly stimulated, according to the paper we were looking at a couple of lectures ago, CERT1 in non-transformed cells. When I say stimulated, I mean actually induced transcription, okay? Because remember, melatonin works through receptors, some of which are nuclear localized, and as we'll find out, actually work through the ROR and ROR gamma T complexes, that's the retinoic acid orphan receptors, actually acting as transcription factors, right? So they stimulate CERT1 expression in non-transformed cells, especially as one ages. Okay, so that's in 
That's it, unhealthy cell lineage. Now, CERT1 expression also, this is all, should be uh, recapping for you, is distinct from its biological activity. Suppression of, and this is evidence, suppression of the BRCA1, which is the mutation, remember, that you see in breast cancer and ovarian cancer, for example. <clears throat> That's part of the DNA damage repair response um, uh, transcriptome, the BRCA. That's reduced. Uh, suppression of BRCA1, when you suppress that mutation, reduced CERT1 expression. But at the same time, increased NAD concentration. And since CERT is dependent upon NAD concentration, <clears throat> it also enhanced CERT1 activity. Okay, so what that means is there is more double-stranded break and single-stranded break repair. Therefore, melatonin lowers CERT1 and this enhances its activity because there is more NAD available. And both single-stranded, double-strand repair will commence, which would be counterproductive in a tumor microenvironment, but which would prevent tumors in newer generation in a healthy environment. And remember with aging, <clears throat> you're, you're getting effects on the concentration of melatonin and sirtuins and NAD. I'm not gonna bring those uh, concepts forward again until a little bit later. So indeed aging, and neurodegenerative diseases are accompanied by abnormal levels, this is now going more back into just straight biochemistry, of oxidation of proteins, lipids, and nucleic acids. That means you get chronic, and I mentioned before, auto-inflammatory diseases, which of course are related to the synthesis and secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines, like interleukin-1 beta and interleukin-2. And there's also the activity of uh, trace elemental ferric and ferrous iron, which of course will induce neurotoxicity via the induction of ferritosis or necrotosis. So those have also been suggested as possible contributory factors underlying the pathophysiological events in Alzheimer's disease. Also remember that ceramide, the sphingolipid ceramide, mediates membrane raft disruption and induction of apoptosis by the caspase-mediated system that we've talked about, this canonical apoptosis program cell death, mitochondrially associated, of course. Now, in addition to cognitive and memory dysfunction in AD, the sleep-wake and circadian rhythm dysregulation are often seen in AD. And those circadian rhythm disturbances are associated with disturbed melatonin rhythmicity. This was seen in animal models and in humans. And decreased circulating in brain melatonin levels, all of which we know tank as you age. So way back in start uh, start this research was started about a decade ago it had been hypothesized 
that the de decreased levels of melatonin, in fact, could contribute to the pathophysiology of Alzheimer's disease in view um, of the fact that melatonin combines chronobiotic with effective antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and even antifibrillogenic properties, it would appear that enhancing melatonin levels or melatonin mimics, like the compound we talked about last time, the remelteon, could be considered as a potential treatment for at least prodromal AD. That's kind of where I left off last time. So the effects of melatonin on the immune system can either be pro or inflammatory, right? We know this, we know this from the long discussion we've been doing. Typically with a valence toward immune stimulation, but in other settings, it that could be immunosuppressive. Again, we've gone through this. We talked about the influence of melatonin on certain one expression and revealed that it has a contrarian regulation between tumor and non-tumor cells. We were just telling you about the fact that melatonin is strongly suppressive in cancer, um, but mainly stimulates SIRT1 and non-transformed cells. So remember that SIRT2 activities, again, not primarily directed by the level of the protein, but by the concentration of NAD. And I already explained to you that the activity of nicotinamide phosphoribosyl transferase, NAMP2, is a key component in regulating the uh, equipoise of NAD concentration. So the contrast between CERT1 expression activity becomes evident in the study of that BRCA uh, experiment I told you about. So overall then, BRCA1 overexpression, right, that's the mutated BRCA gene involved in DNA repair, involved in breast cancer and ovarian cancer, among others, upregulates CERT1 expression which decreases NAD levels and decreases certain activity. Okay. Understand. Okay. Let's move on. So among the factors known to suppress the production of melatonin by the pineal gland, what might be they? Hypoxia is one. Reduced production of melatonin has been reported to occur in other ischemic conditions, such as coronary artery disease, and severe congestive heart failure. Okay, these are all diseases you know that increase with age. And indeed, hypoxia increases with age. So it seems that hypoxia may play a role in the pathogenesis of AD, as it can induce, as we said before, the A-beta protein production, which is involved in amyloid plaque formation, which I told you is a biomarker for AD. Now, the role of hypoxia in potentiating AD is therefore supported by the observation that patients suffering from cardio cardiorespiratory disorders or cerebral ischemia or stroke associated with that with former are much more susceptible to development of dementias, including AD. It is remarkable that the daily administration of melatonin appeared to reduce the hypoxia-induced A-beta generation when it was studied in rat hippocampi, okay? And this is where the whole idea of melatonin may coming as a therapeutic, uh, hormonal therapeutic might be useful to understand. All right, so that's where we are. Now with that background, the replacement of brain melatonin levels was suggested as a way of arresting the progression of AD, particularly prodromal, 
uh, and for correcting a circadian, and likewise, it would it was believed to perhaps correct or reset the circadian sleep-wake disturbances associated with AD. I told you that melatonin short-lived molecule only lives about a half an hour. And so that's why they came up with compounds that would have high affinity for melatonin receptors. And that's when Rameltion was um, first put on the scene as a potential pharmacotherapeutic as a mimetic to replace melatonin. So uh, some more information about melatonin. It's synthesized, as I told you many times now, in the pineal, but it's also made in other organs and tissues by a process, of course, which starts always from tryptophan conversion to serotonin and then serotonin to melatonin. So serotonin becomes acetylated to form and acetyl serotonin, okay, by an enzyme acetyltransferase. And then the N acetyl serotonin is converted to frank melatonin by an enzyme known as hydroxyindole O methyltransferase. You need a couple more enzymes to finish the synthesis. Once melatonin is formed, it's not stored within the pineal, diffuses in the capillary blood, ends up in the cerebral spinal fluid where it can be measured easily with a tap. So CSF melatonin values are nearly 30 times higher than those in the blood because that's a reservoir. Thus, the brain tissue has higher melatonin concentration than any other tissue in the body, which again relates to the whole AD pathogenesis, right? Could anyways. This is part of all the hypothetical deduction going on. All right. Now, a paper published in Cell Death and Disease Volume 9, this is Article 600, which was published in 2018, just a few years ago, came up with something very important for us to consider in our discussion. So this is not going to be about AD or ischemia, but it's going to be about type 2 diabetes, which is also another disease highly associated with aging population in the West, of course, well linked to obesity. And of course, it's a metabolic disease, which is usually extremely contributory to the morbidity and ultimate mortality of aging humans. Okay. So type 2 diabetes has amyloid oligomers, chronic hyperglycemia, lipotoxicity, pro-inflammatory cytokines. And all of that is functioning to be detrimental to beta cells. Okay, so that sounds a little bit like a lot of the pathology we saw in the CNS. What it does in the beta cells of the pancreas, I mean, where insulin is synthesized, is it causes apoptosis, and therefore you get impaired insulin secretion. Yes, even in late stages of type 2 diabetes. That's why sometimes you still get insulin supplementation. So recall the histone acetyltransferase uh, the, that enzyme is also known as P300 in older literature, is involved in remodeling of chromatin structure by all the epigenetic mechanisms we talked about, you know, acetylation of histone, lysine's residues, particularly in histone 3. And it's involved, therefore, in the remodeling of chromatin structure in normal physiological responses, but it's also remodeling of chromatin structure in epigenetic mechanism, right? All that is a key ubiquitous activator of the transcriptional machinery when you acetylate the histone. So in this paper published in Cell Death and Disease in 2018, 
What were they looking at? They looked at the loss of P300, acetyltransferase activity, that would be a an, an HAT activity. HAT is histone acetyltransferase, you will recall. And expression leads to beta cell apoptosis. Okay? Most importantly, stress situations known to be associated with diabetes will alter P300 levels and functional integrity of the insulin secretion process. So these, these researchers found that proteasomal degradation is the mechanism which serves the P300 loss in beta cells when those beta cells are bathed with high levels of circulating glucose because of hyperglycemia, which is, of course, paradigmatic in type 2 diabetes. It can also, though, be same thing can occur if you have a high concentration of pro-inflammatory cytokines. So they suggest, because they looked at it, that melatonin, which, of course, is produced in the pineal and known to play key roles and indeed, yeah, beta cell health, preserves P300 levels. Huh. And the P300 levels that would otherwise be altered by toxic conditions such as hyperglycemia and high levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines, both of which, right, are associated with type 2 diabetes. So they're saying that it might be an important role for P300 in the pathophysiology of diabetes, right? So what they're saying is that P300 levels may be something you want to keep high. Now, that's an acetyltransferase, right? So what happens when you have low levels of acetyltransferase, right? So that's the enzyme that acetylates, for example, histones. It acetylates a lot of other proteins. How is that compared to having a high level of deacetylase? Well, if you have high acetyltransferase, that's like having low HDAC or low sirtuin, you see? So the phenotype, the biochemical phenotype is the same. You have a lot of acetylation. It's the same as saying you have less deacetylation. So here's melatonin once again setting the tonicity of the acetylation pattern. And then everything that follows that in terms of sequelae, right, which is the production of poly B ribose, for example, and then the whole idea of double-stranded, single-stranded breaks, which I just went through with you. That is why I told you about this paper in Cell Death and Disease. Okay, now, circulating melatonin is metabolized mainly in the liver, and it's typical P450 monooxygenase activity. It's done through a hydroxylation of a C6 position on melatonin, and it's carried out by an enzyme uh, CYP1A2 and CYP1A1, those two P450 monooxygenases, right? So after that, it's conjugated with sulfate to form 6-sulfatoxy melatonin, or AMT6S. And of course, that's the main metallolite melatonin you find in urine. In the brain, though, melatonin is metabolized to kenuramine. Remember, that's a similar degrad degradation pathway that we talked about with NAD. 
And in fact, you make N1-acetyl-N2-formal-5-methoxykinuramine, also known as AFMK. That's what happens in the brain, as opposed to the sulfa-oxy-melatonin derivative made in the periphery and found in the urine. So in several tissues, melatonin can also be non-enzymatically metabolized simply to cyclic 3-hydroxymelatonin. Three different, at least three different pathways known to remove melatonin. So that's a really important thing to keep in mind. It's not a, not a linear uh, progression at all. All right. All right. Now, melatonin is involved in the control of various physiological functions. We've mentioned them now, and we've done more than mentioned. We've gone into some detail with circadian rhythmicity, sleep regulation, immune function, antioxidant defense, and ultimately the control of the reproduction and inhibition of tumors and tumorigenesis. And it even has been suggested they have an effect on human mood, human mood disorders, right? All of which are linked to aging. Melatonin does participate in many of those functions by acting through a G protein coupled receptor and the M21 and M2 MT2, excuse me, melatonin receptors themselves. So the nuclear melatonin receptors actually belong to, as I've already mentioned, the ROR and ROR gamma T, ROR alpha and ROR gamma T receptor classes. Uh, and the old literature are called RZR, ROR. So melatonin acts directly on the cells without the intervention of any of those receptors also by binding to intracellular proteins. You see another activity of melatonin. And those proteins are things like calmodulin and tubulin. Calmodulin is certainly not without its biological activity, as you know. So in general, the free radical scavenging action of melatonin itself does not involve receptors, except for the induction and synthesis of some of the antioxidant enzymes, <laughs> like gamma glutamylcysteine synthase, that also then requires these uh, roar alpha receptors, which act as transcription factors to control the expression of, for example, uh, that, that transcript and then ultimately that protein, which, is an, which becomes an antioxidant uh, enzyme. So that leads us to a paper published in Oncology Letters, 2016, August of that year. Uh, the volume on that is 12 and the page number on that is 897. I will put this in the show notes so you don't need to worry about that right now. What does this paper tell us? It tells us that an adequate supply of oxygen and nutrients derived from the formation of novel blood vessels, that hello angiogenesis, is critical for the growth and expansion of tumor cells, obviously. And this paper tells you that, they, that melatonin exhibits a marked in vitro and in vivo oncostatic activity. So you might ask, what is the in vivo anti-tumor activity of melatonin on growth and angiogenesis? If you look at, like this paper did, gastric SNR cancer cells. Here we go. Melatonin inhibited the growth of gastric cancer SGC7901 cells in culture in a dose and time dependent manner. So that's good. That's how you study hormones. 
So he has to have, you have to have a temporal as well as a dose response critical marker. So in addition to all that, the, this study demonstrated that low concentrations of melatonin, here we're talking between 0.01 up to one millimolar, had no clear effect on vascular endothelial growth factor secretion. That's VEGF, you know that that is a cancer inducing because it induces angiogenesis. Whereas high concentrations, that is up to three to five millimolar melatonin, actually suppressed VEGF secretion. So it looks like either melatonin has no effect on VEGF, which is pro-tumorigenic, or at higher concentrations, it actually suppresses VEGF secretion in those cells. So it seems that melatonin caused suppression of gastric cancer cell growth and blockade of tumor angiogenesis in tumor-bearing nude mice. So they put the system together. In fact, melatonin treatment reduced the expression of the melatonin nuclear receptors it binds to, the ROR gamma T and the ROR alpha system. Also, it reduced the expression of sumo-specific protease 1, Epoxy-inducible factor 1-alpha, that's HIF-1-alpha we talked about, and of course, VEGF, all at the transcriptional entity translational splice, splicing level within gastric cancer cells during active tumorigenesis. So they concluded in this paper that melatonin nuclear receptor, what they call RZR, ROR, gamma T, may be of great importance in the melatonin-mediated anti-angiogenesis and growth inhibitory effect in the cancer cells in this gastric system. Since the ROR and ROR alpha and ROR gamma T transcription factors, the retinal gastric transcription factors, are overexpressed in multiple human cancers, these people that published this paper even go on to say that maybe melatonin could be a promising agent for lots of other cancers. Now that's quite a stretch, of course, but. It's okay. They put this in the end of their discussion of their paper. So that is that is some key features now that we haven't talked about before. Now I'll leave you with this. As Alzheimer's disease is associated with the disturbed sleep-wake rhythms and the circadian rhythms, which is an which is a paradigmatic disturbance in aging, this believe that this melatonin agonist approach which can have a higher affinity for, the, for MT1 and MT2, remember those are the receptors, without affecting perhaps their expression, unlike melatonin, or degradation, unlike melatonin, um, because of proteasomal act activation, recall that, um, and one with which may have a longer duration because of the structure of the melatonin mimetic, Theoretically, it could be beneficial in tackling sleep-wake sleep cycles, circadian rhythm disturbances, and therefore ramelatione was produced. It was the first melatonin receptor agonist uh, approved by the FDA, and its activity on MT1 and MT2 receptors has been well studied. Now, the chemical structure of ramelatione, I'll leave you with this. I'm going to tell you the whole name of it. It's SN21678. Tetrahydro-2-hydeno-5,4-bifuran-4-eel-ethyl-propioamide. Okay. Now, if you look up that structure, of course, you can just look up rameltion. You'll see that it has some 
structural relationship to melatonin, but there are a great deal of distinctive chemical differences. So it's a melatonin receptor agonist, and it has a nice low molecular mass, So it, and it's also pretty cheap to produce apparently. The receptor binding studies indicated that Ramelthian has a high selectivity for MT1 and MT2 receptors with little affinity for quinone reductase 2 binding, which is important because that has to do with metabolism and degradation, all the other um, associated effects that melatonin does. Now, I'm going to leave you with that because we're just about out of time and I don't want to run out of time this time, uh, this, uh, this episode like I did last time. <laughs> so um, this is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry. Uh, part two of today's series. This is the last one for today. Saying uh, bye for now.